Thank you guys. Well, good morning. morning. And welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship. What a joy it is to be here with you this morning. And we are still in the book of Ephesians. I think we're going to be here for a little while. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1? And we're going to read from verse 7 on this morning. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 7. And it says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. I had a dream. I was 18 years old. And it was an underloved, poorly maintained, rusty 1969 Toyota FJ40 Land Cruiser. I grew up with this car. It was my next door neighbor's car. And I would look at it as I was playing out in the front yard. But when I reached 18, I found out that the owner of that car was going to a church that I was now serving at, Cornerstone Bible Church in Glendora. And I made a point to go talk to him and say, have you ever considered selling that old rust bucket of yours? Don't you think it's time you let that thing go? You could use something newer, right? And you know, he said, to my delight, he said, you know what? I've actually been thinking about that. And I went, yes! Yes! Okay, let, let, let's talk. Let's talk. And I purchased this car for $2,500. And I loved it. And I spent just about every waking moment and every dime that I had pouring into this vehicle. I had it painted. I did the brakes. I had to replace the radiator. I've got a whole list of other things. There was so much that needed to be done to this car. And if you stopped by my parents' house, you'd probably see me out in the front yard like I was here bent down doing something. I don't even know. Probably, I don't know. But the day came. The very sad day came where I had to let go of this car. Let me tell you why. First of all, there was the the time when I was driving back from picking up a burrito in Azusa for lunch and driving back home, and all of a sudden there was this loud bang, and it had no brakes at all, going 40 miles an hour, and it's rattling, and I'm shaking. What do I do? And I pull the e-brake, and I skid over to the side of the road. I open up the hood and realize that the fan blade had rusted off and flew off and went right through the brake lines. There was another time when I'm driving on Sierra Madre, again, going home, and I'm driving along in a straight line when all of a sudden the steering wheel decided to detach itself from the steering column. 
And I stood there holding this thing in absolute shock and then quickly threw it in the passenger seat and now I'm holding on to the little nub trying to keep this thing going. There was the time when I was uh, getting onto the, the 210 freeway and all of a sudden the gas pedal just went snap and all the way down to the floor and the cable had, had broken. There was the time when I was taking uh, junior high and high school students down from Big Bear, that windy road down from Big Bear, and the brakes overheated, caught fire, and I'm standing on them, nothing's happening, again, pull the emergency brake, and six people almost lost their lives. <laughs> then there was the time where... <laughs> I actually I have too many to share, so if you want to hear more, I'll tell you more later. Valentine's Day. There was a girl that I liked. She lived out in Palmdale, and uh, she... she uh, we, we were going to go do something, I don't even remember what, but it was pouring rain that day. And we're driving on the 605, and I turn over to her, and she's getting dumped on. <laughs> and around that time was when I decided we are going to have to let this thing go. Looking back, I wish I could have kept it because these things are worth a lot of money these days, but I just didn't have what it took to, to, to keep it together. I didn't have the money, I didn't have the time, and I couldn't have these mishaps continue to happen over and over again. I mean, we're putting kids' lives in danger here. I didn't have what it took to give it the TLC that it really needed. We have a world that needs some serious TLC, don't we? Serious TLC. We look around us and we see everything just, it seems like it's all disintegrating. I mean, I thought racism was a thing of the past and it's still just as alive as ever. It's all over the place. In our world, we see these bodies of ours, they're, they're falling apart, right? Even mine, at my age, I'm starting to notice things and I'm realizing this is not going to last too much longer. We see school shootings happening again and again and we scratch our heads and think what i mean how many has it been in the last six months we see terrorist attacks we see sexual harassment we see gender confusion the law of entropy is alive and well isn't it things fall apart they tend towards disorder how are you to fix it can it be fixed? What needs to happen to make to bring this thing back together? Paul offers us some amazing hope in verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. Those who are trusting in this gracious, loving God that he's been telling them about in the, the past few verses, they should not only praise God because what he's done in the past... And before the foundation of the world, choosing them. Not only praise Him because of that, but not, and not only praise Him because of the present reality, that they are, they've been redeemed and they're adopted into the family of God, but they should praise Him also because of the promise for the future. There is a promise for the future. Big question for this morning is, why should Christians have hope for their disintegrating world. Why should you have hope? 
We find the answers in verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 again real quick. See how this God who's lavished His grace upon us, He's done so by making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Paul writes, God has made known to us the mystery of His will. This idea of mystery it would have really resonated with the people that Paul was writing to. With all the pagan worship that was going on, we talked a lot about it last week, pagan worship that was going on in that place, there were all kinds of secret rituals and incantations. Everyone was looking to discover some sort of chant or object that they could put around their neck that was going to create a deeper connection with Artemis or with one of the other deities. And so when the Ephesians heard the word mystery, they were going, what, 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 mystery? Uh, you have a mystery? You have some secret knowledge? You have some, something that is going to give me some type of advantage in life. I want that. I definitely want that. But when Paul uses the term mystery here, he says the mystery of God's will He's not talking about some type of secret knowledge that we need to attain to somehow manip get, manipulate God and get Him to do what we want Him to do. That's not what he's talking about. But he's using the term mystery more like it's used in Daniel chapter 2. That's in the Old Testament. Maybe you remember in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had some dreams. He had some very troubling dreams. And they were so troubling that he called all the enchanters and all the magicians and all the wise people in the land and brought them to himself. He wanted an explanation, interpretation of these dreams. I want to understand what they mean. But King Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a savvy old guy. And he realized that there's a lot of pressure on these magicians, on these enchanters, to, to tell him what they thought that he wanted to hear. He didn't want to hear what he just wanted to hear. He wanted to hear what they actually meant. And so he came up with a sort of test. And he said, okay, here's, here's the deal. Here's what you guys are going to do for me. Before you interpret this dream, first, tell me what the dreams were that I had. And here they reply in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10. There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. You're completely unreasonable, Nebuchadnezzar. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, if you're familiar with the rest of the, the passage, you know that Daniel and his companions, they begin seeking the Lord, knowing that if there's going to be any revelation here, any understanding into what the king had dreamed, it's going to come from God. And so they pray and pray. And then we find the mystery is revealed to Daniel in the middle of the night. And what's the nature of the mystery that was revealed in those dreams? It was a revelation 
of God's plan to unite all things to himself under one eternal kingdom. Look at Daniel 2.44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. This is the interpretation of the dream. Will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall, the kingdom be, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. It'll stand forever. The interpretation of the dream revealed that kings and kingdoms, they rise, they fall, they come and go. But one day, God is going to set up He's going to step into time and set up His own kingdom, which is going to put an end to the vicious cycle of all of these other kingdoms rising and falling. And this kingdom is going to to last forever. God was giving King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and really He's giving us now as we read Daniel, an inside look, an inside look into His plan for humanity. Remember several weeks ago, we talked about God's will of decree? His plan and purpose for allowing things to happen. All those things that you wonder, why, God, why are you allowing this to happen? All those things that He's let happen, that He keeps His plan hidden from us. We call it His will of decree. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Throughout history, there have been times when God has let us in on what's going on. He doesn't tell us everything, but he's keyed us in so that we have some insight. That's what Paul is talking about when he uses the phrase, mystery of his will. God has at this point in history finally made known in greater detail his plan for humanity. Why should Christians have hope for their disintegrating world? Well, one, because the mystery has been revealed. And two, because of the content of the mystery. Christians should be filled with hope because of the fact that God has chosen to reveal the mystery. The revelation of God's mystery that has been kept secret through the ages, that's evidence Friends, that's evidence of God's lavish grace being poured out on us. God has been good to us. The end of verse 7 says this, according, this is Ephesians 1, 7, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth, in Christ. So the grace of God, it's been lavished upon us. It's been poured out in extravagance through the wisdom and insight He's given us, making known to us the mystery of His will. Now, before the mystery had been revealed, before the fullness of time, as Paul puts it, God revealed things about Himself. But it was simply through the things that he had created. 
Just like a painting or a sculpture or some other type of work of art, you can look at it and you can deduce some things about the, the sculptor or the, the master craftsman. We look around at God's creation. We look at the sky. We look at the ocean. We look at the mountains. We look at the, the beauty of the people that he's created. And we know something about God. Paul tells us in Romans 1.19, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God's shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so we look around us and we see complexity both on a, on a micro scale and on a macro scale and we're led to understand that God is unbelievably intelligent. We look at the fine-tuning of the universe. They, they say it's like a, a razor-sharp edge. Everything, the, 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 the extent of gravity and the, the distance from the sun and all these different things that exist in the universe, we're on like a razor edge for life to exist on this planet. If you tip just a little bit this way, no life. Tip a little bit this way, and we're, we're talking so infinitesimal uh, numbers here. We see this fine-tuning, and it shows that there's order here. There's precision here. That says something about God. From the beauty of things that we look at, the vastness of the oceans, the mountains, we see that God is, is skilled. It's a skill that goes far beyond the most masterful craftsman. And we look at the order in the universe, and we recognize that it took a powerful God to create this. And we can go on and on and on. And it's good and it's important what we can find from God's creation. But here's the thing. If that's all God left us with, then we're in serious trouble. Because as much as general, general revelation, what we can get from creation, as much as general revelation may tell us about God, it fails to explain some very, very important things. Namely, about who we are and the relationship that we have with Him. It doesn't tell us why humanity seems to be bent on destruction. It doesn't tell us uh, that the, a problem exists between us and God. It doesn't tell us that we're powerless to fix the problem. It doesn't tell us how God in His great love intervened to save us. And it doesn't tell us where all creation is headed. It doesn't tell us so many different things. If all God did was create the world, then walk away kind of like a watchmaker, makes the watch, winds it up and puts it on the shelf. If that's all God did we'd be on our own, left to figure it out on our own. And that's what many people believe our situation is. And an agnostic would tell you that from everything they can tell, it seems likely that there may be a creator out there, but we really can't know anything about him. That is beyond what the physical world, the things that we can see and hear, and what we can bring in from our senses, what those things tell us about. We really can't know Him. And that's not a good place to be. 
Because for all the problems we see in our world, all the disintegration that seems to be happening all around us, we have no one to look to but ourselves. And we'd just be shooting in the dark, just trying to figure out, oh, is it this? Maybe this is the solution. Well, maybe this is the solution. And that's what we see, don't we? All over the place. Everyone has some new idea of what you need to uh, bring health to your body or to save this relationship or that, that's going to eliminate racism in our country or eliminate terror. All, we have all these different ideas out there, but we're shooting in the dark. We'd be looking for answers and have no guide, no rule book, no measuring rod to evaluate whether or not we're tracking in the right direction. And we'd have no idea about what the future of our planet is, is going to look like. And we, we see those movies with the meteor coming down and we expect that it's all going to blow up. But we don't know. We'd be living in ig- ignorance. And that's actually how Paul describes people who have no relationship with God in chapter 4 of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.18, he writes, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them due to the hardness in their hearts. You know, some say that ignorance is bliss. I think there's some truth to that. But if the ignorance that you and I have is ignorance of impending doom, that if we weren't ignorant of it, we could do something to avoid it, then that is not ignorance that is bliss. I'm sorry. No, I don't want that in my life. I don't want that kind of ignorance. If the one who created us left us in ignorance, never making it known that we're headed for imminent disaster, if he kept the horrors of our situation a mystery, Well, I don't know if I would call that being loving. If you had no love, if you had no feeling whatsoever for your fellow human being, you might see a blind person walking towards a cliff and just be like, eh, too bad for him. (laughs) But you're not that. You're not a heartless barbarian, so you would never do that. You would speak up. You would scream. You would do everything that you could to try and help that person realize that you are in serious trouble here. You think everything's going wonderful, but it's not because of where you're heading. And that person, you may have scared the, the living daylights out of them, but they would thank you over and over and over again because they realized that you yelled, that you screamed, that you said something because you care for them. You revealing the death drop that they were inevitably headed for. You revealing the mystery to them would be one of the most loving things that you could possibly do for them. And I think that's what Paul wants us to recognize here. When he says that God has made known the mystery of His Will. He wants us to see that God didn't leave us hanging. You have reason to hope simply because you have the revealed mystery. He didn't, he didn't just create us, but He intentionally revealed Himself to His creation. 
the fact that God has made known the mystery of His will, it's evidence of His extravagant goodness that He's shown to us. It's a lavish outpouring of His grace as He's making known the mystery. Praise God, He didn't stop with general revelation, but He goes out of His way to give us what we call special revelation. We're not left to wander in the dark. God's given us His revealed Word so that we might have insight into the, the way the world should be, the way it is, and where it can find hope, peace, and salvation. Christians should be filled with hope because of the fact that the mystery has been revealed. God cares enough about you to step into creation and reveal His plan. But they should also be filled with hope because of the content. The content of the mystery. Christians should be filled with hope because God has revealed that He will ultimately unite all things through Christ to Himself. Look at verse 9 again. Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him that is in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. When God first created the world, there was harmony. There was peace. There was joy. Everything operated the way it was designed to operate. There was no disease. There was no sickness. There was no death. Pretty much the way we see the world today, right? Not really. So what happened? How do you explain this? How do you explain why it seems like we're, we're in paradise lost right now? Are the problems that we face, are they just the result of natural selection? It's just different species trying to compete for you know, a top dog, and so they, they pick on each other, they eat each other, they hurt each other, they do all sorts of things to each other. That's how we explain the suffering of our world. Or maybe some evil alien force came and upset the balance of yin and yang. And the equilibrium has just been disrupted, and that's why things are such a mess. Or perhaps we've just become too passionate. If we just could just get rid of these desires inside that, that are just leading us, to, with these, they're filling us with these strong feelings that are making us be selfish and unkind. If we could just get rid of those passions, well, maybe the world would be a happier place. You know, we could hypothesize till the cows come home. But thank God we don't have to. He hasn't left us to our own imaginations. He's revealed to us through special revelation the reason why the problems and the plagues and all of these different things cause our world to just spin out of control. It all comes down to one little tiny three-letter word. Sin. Don't like death? Sin brought that. Wages of sin is death. Soul that sinneth, it shall die. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Don't like illness. Well, David said, there's no health in my bones because of my sin. Don't like hypocrisy, jealousy, anger. That's sin. Don't like crime. Sin again. Don't like feeling distant 
from God. Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. We could go on and on. Don't like suffering. Don't like worry, discouragement, depression. Don't like being lied to. Don't like sexual harassment or abuse. Don't like governments stealing and taking advantage of their people. God has revealed to us the source of our problems in life, and it is sin. It is our choice to freely walk away from God and do things our own way. That's exactly what happened in the garden, right? They said... Yeah, that fruit looks pretty good. God, we know you said we shouldn't eat it, but we're going to get the knowledge of good and evil out of this. We're going to become like gods ourselves. This seems like a better way to us. And so they go for it. We live in a disintegrating world because of sin. How do we fix that? That's the question. That is the question. There are all kinds of answers out there. One of my favorite Probably one of the most, the one with the most truth in it, at least short of what the Bible tells us, comes from John Lennon. All you need is love. Love is all you need. But that's good, isn't it? That's really good. That sounds so right. If people could just start loving each other, come on, everybody, let's hug it out. The world would be such a better place. Solve most of the world's problems. I'd like to buy the world a home. Furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. (laughs) And keep it company. That's the real thing. Ah, That's the ticket, right? And even I, I, I see YouTube videos of that commercial. I just like, oh, yes. I've I got to go buy a Coke right now. <laughs> Make the world a better place. It's really, it's really for the people. It's not, you know, not for me. Yeah. There's only one problem. Only one problem. Love is, is the answer. The problem is that human love has been corrupted by our sin. We can't even love, right? We can't even love wholeheartedly like we were designed to. Our love, the best love that we show on our own apart from God, it's it's tainted. Sin has taken root inside of our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's where God's special revelation comes in and rescues us. Without it, we're walking around in darkness. We can go on preaching love all we want, but if the human heart is affected by sin, we're incapable of of loving as we ought, and it's not going to work. Thank God in His goodness, He's made known to us the mystery of His will. He's told us that we couldn't fix ourselves, so He sent Jesus Christ to fix us. By His death on the cross, He made a way for us to be forgiven. Have our hearts changed? Those hearts that that were once stone, they turned to flesh. 
And He's enabled us to love the way that we were designed to love. In the end of Ephesians 1.10, points us to the ultimate result of God's will for creation. This is... This is one of those, those phrases in the Bible that I've so often just skipped over. And yet there is incredible hope here to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's a point where Indiana Jones and his father Henry find themselves in Berlin during World War II. There's a Nazi party demonstration. Books are being burned. Soldiers are goose-stepping. Patriots are saluting their Fuhrer. And that's when Henry turns to his son and says, My boy, we are pilgrims in an unholy land. I think that Christians sometimes feel that way. Maybe you've put your trust in Jesus. He's done a work in your heart. It, you were wanting to live your life for Him, but you still find yourself living in this world that doesn't honor God, and it seems so bent on depravity and destruction. The message Paul has here is especially for you and for me. God has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Christians should be filled with hope because God has revealed in the mystery of His will that He will ultimately unite all things in Christ to Himself. Yes, we live in a world that's filled with pain, that's filled with suffering, that's filled with injustice, but you and I can be certain of this. There will come a day. There will come a day when at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a day when the creator of all things will gather everything to himself. And they will all recognize his sovereign Authority, And you know what that means? No more rebellion. No more suffering. No more selfishness. No more sexual harassment. Misconduct. No more hate speech or mean tweets. No more corruption. Injustice. No more lies. That is going to be a good day. Why should Christians have hope for their disintegrating world? Well, because God has graciously chosen to reveal the mystery. We don't have to live in ignorance. We're not in the dark. Because we have this, it says God cares about you. He cares so much that He has spoken to you. And people have tried to get rid of this thing for centuries. And it remains. Because God loves you. And you should have hope because God has revealed that one day He is going to unite all things through Christ to Himself. We may live in a disintegrating world, but thank God that He's made known to us His plan to bring it all back together. And all of this centers and, is, and hinges on Christ. 
And that's who we're going to celebrate now. Would those uh, helping with communion this morning, would they come forward?